Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. of july is heating up and there's a ton of exciting sports action and bet online is where you can find it from the nba finals to baseball and marquee matchups including prop bets and futures bet online has all the latest odds news and information for all your sports betting needs visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit so before the next tip-off face-off or pitch Head on over to Bet Online and start your playing today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you so much for uh, being with us as always. Appreciate you listening in. Today we have uh, a very great and uh, interesting show. We're talking about the name, image, image, and likeness marketplace. And uh, today is um, Monday, July 12th, 2021. So wishing you a great week ahead. And uh, this is episode 28 of uh, season three. So we're talking about the name, image, and likeness marketplace. And uh, this is obviously a fascinating space. Um, you know, if you're looking at you know, July 1st, 2021, really the um, sort of date uh, in history that will go down sort of as the time when athletes began to profit off their name, image, and likeness, particularly those in, um, you know, non sort of esports or non uh, cheerleading uh, sports aspect. So, you know, basketball, football, baseball. Um, you know, volleyball, hockey, everything else that goes on in college in terms of all the sports. But uh, July 1st was really sort of the date that a lot of these states around the country decided to uh, push forward with this and somewhat makes sense because um, at least for sort of, let's say, uh, basketball and um, football, those sports, you know, pretty much start in the fall and uh, sort of work through um you know, work through the winter and then work into, you know, basically until the uh, early spring. Uh, and then obviously for basketball, more towards like, uh, um, I guess still early spring into March madness and all that. But so it, I think it made sense for that date, but there's a lot of interesting sort of uh, caveats to all of this, which I want to break down in, uh, in today's show. So we obviously have this name, image, and likeness marketplace now, right? Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? And sort of what is that going to uh, sort of look like going forward? I want to get some historical spec uh, perspective here uh, first before we get into um, sort of what this marketplace is going to look like. Because I think, you know, sort of knowing the history is going to help us sort of understand what's going to happen, what's happening now and what's going to happen in the future or what's potentially going to happen in the future. So, you know, name, image, and likeness is really another word for rights of publicity. It's the ability for somebody to basically own and control 
um, the rights to their image, to uh, their public person, their publicity. And this is something that's been around for a long time. Uh, common law is something that's, uh, for lack of a better word, common uh, when it comes to us uh, is something that sort of is handed down from sort of English common law and what uh, this country has used for years as sort of a basis for uh, its legal structure. And what common law really means is it's sort of this idea that like uh, the sort of basic principles of law, um, it's, it's sort of this idea that um, even if a, if a sort of uh, a law doesn't exist, like in the sense of it's written out in a statute um, or there's a case decided on it, um, it's really sort of a combination of um, sort of, let's say case precedent or judicial precedent uh, maybe uh, legal custom, the way things have been done, that sort of thing, right? And again, it sort of comes down from English common law, which you know our country is really based upon uh, here in, uh, in the United States. And so it's when we talk about rights of publicity, this is something that's been around for a very, very long time. Um, you know, several hundred years at least in terms of uh, what rights of publicity is. Now, of course, over the years, this has become... Uh, more streamlined and more, there's a bigger understanding of it, uh, particularly in the age of social media, what rights of publicity are. Uh, but this is something that's been around, you know, since movies began to start being, you know, filmed and uh, since music has been made, uh, since uh, pictures have been able to be painted. Uh, and, and so in, in many ways, uh, the law has sort of uh, taken uh, its time to catch up to what sort of people, you know, in terms of what, um, what rights people have. And, and obviously I think as you, you live in sort of maybe a freer country or uh, the ability to sort of profit off your name, image, and likeness and not have uh, the government controlling those aspects. I think that uh, those laws have began to catch up. Right. And let me give you an example of this. So California has a California civil code section 3344. Uh, California Civil Code Section 3344. And this was enacted in 1971. We're now in 2021, right? So we're talking about uh, a long period of time where rights of publicity have been in, you know, in existence. And so it wasn't that college athlete, athletes could not profit off their name, image, and likeness. There was the law that was there. The common law has been there. It's this idea of creating a structure to make it happen. And maybe more importantly, is this idea that the NCAA, you know, essentially said on, you know, July 1st, these college athletes can go out and profit from their name, image, and likeness. That to me uh, is the most important piece in all of this, because to be an athlete, an NCAA athlete, and uh, to attend college, and to attend college at a member institution in the NCAA, is that's what they're called, uh, you have to abide by their rules. No different than joining a country club or what have you. You know, you walk into a private you know, place of business, you have to follow their rules, right? And so uh, this is no different. And uh, for the longest time, it was, you know, student athletes were not able to profit from their name, image, and likeness. They cannot receive anything of value, this sort of thing, right? or else they would lose their eligibility, uh, which would obviously affect their draft status and that sort of thing of getting into the NBA, the NFL, or what have you. And so 
keep that all in mind because I think what is interesting about all of this is that, you know, normally it should have been the NCAA that was sort of the catalyst to change the rules and to say, okay, we're going to allow for this structure to play, take place. But what ended up happening was the states came along, particularly California was the first uh, with the Fair Pay to Play Act, which essentially set out a scheme for which players could profit from their name, image, and likeness. Now, California's version does not go into effect until 2023. The other states really sort of um, jumped ahead and uh, made that date sooner. California may indeed, uh, as we're sort of working through the process, uh, move that date up. There's obviously been, uh, I think there's been some, um, some uh, measures that have been introduced to sort of change the date in that bill, but we'll see how that all plays out. But it is interesting how this came together. It was the states that were the catalyst to get the NCAA to move forward. Admittedly, Mark Emmert, the NCAA president, said as much. California really started the discussion or it really moved the ball forward in that, in that way. Um, California obviously has a lot of power, a lot of say in this because it's you know the nation's largest state and uh, it arguably produces the most athletes next to Texas and Florida. So... We'll sort of see, um, you know, sort of what's going to be the marketplace and we'll get into that, but uh, just a little bit of history there as to sort of uh, what was in existence and what is sort of existing now. Now, of course, in all of this, we also had that Supreme Court decision, uh, which essentially laid out that uh, the NCAA could not restrict scholarships. So I think that those two things combined, the NIL plus the Supreme Court decision, you know, we're essentially going to have student athletes making more on scholarships, obviously related to education related expenses. That's going to be the rule. Uh, but then you also have this NIL stuff where um, student athletes can profit off their name image, and likeness for off the field stuff. So now that we sort of have all of that in play, um, really, I think what you can boil this down to is name image, and likeness was always there. It was just the process of the NCAA turning over rights of publicity or name, image, and likeness to college athletes by removing the restrictions from it. So this whole new marketplace creates opportunities for profit for athletes, uh, provides an opportunity to grow their trademarks and their brands. I think it's an interesting point that there was, I think it was the Wisconsin quarterback um, where everybody else was going out and signing deals. His first sort of deal was to create a trademark and to promote it. Very, very smart move. And I think something that when you look at the sort of the top-notch athletes in this country and around the world, they all have a logo. Tom Brady has one, Tiger Woods has one. You, know, you can sort of go down the list, you know, Kobe had one, all that stuff. So I think that uh, obviously Jordan, you know, uh, has one. So this whole new marketplace has been created. I think there's some advertising and business opportunities for brands. Uh, to obviously partner um, with uh, with these student athletes. I think it provides opportunities for financial growth. Uh, I think it provides opportunities for educational growth. And then we're seeing service businesses uh, like Open Doors and Altius uh, Partners getting together. I think agents and attorneys are going to be able to profit from this. Although I think there's an argument to be made that mostly what's going to happen is the clock is going to turn back a year. So you're going to see essentially agents and agencies moving the clock back a year. And so, so instead of, let's say, um, a basketball player 
or a football player or volleyball player waiting until they go pro uh, or get on the pro circuit or what have you, uh, they're going to move that clock up before they enter the draft or before they declare because they'll be able to do it when they're in college. So um, I guess the best example I can use is Zion Williamson. He's playing at Duke. Maybe he signs a deal with, you know, Gatorade, you know, before uh, a year before the draft. Um, now, of course, there's some caveats to that, which we'll get into. Uh, each of these state laws is different. We'll also get into why that's the case. But um, I think the first thing to take away from NIL is that social media is really the catalyst for this, where states were the catalyst to get things moving and to get the NCAA to react. Social media is a personal broadcast channel for everybody. You know, everybody in the world, every American, you know, um, has ability and has access to this, right? So without social media, where else would people promote their brands? I mean, you know, you, you'd have to essentially buy commercial time, very, very expensive. So social media is free. You know, basically you've got to give away, you know, uh, some, some of your privacy and uh, um, some of your ability to uh, not be as public. But um, that's what social media is. It's a personal broadcast channel. So uh, when you have followers and engagement on there, you're going to have brands. They're going to want to pay you to put their brands on your platform, either through an endorsement deal or what have you. So no different than a broadcast channel where uh, you have a, um, a league or a team or a university or a conference getting paid to um, – you know, from and uh, basically from a broadcast network or a streamer to basically license that content. So it's the same exact situation uh, in, in just on a smaller scale. Again, as I mentioned, I think state law really pushed the NCAA to, um, to sort of make this happen. Um, I think that's sort of an interesting thing about sort of how change gets done. Um, but uh, again, I think it's just something to kind of file away and um, sort of see how that's all going to play out. But uh, I think it's an, and it's an important note. So I want to kind of break down a little bit some of the differences in the states. You know, New York, actually, the New York State Legislature had a law that they had introduced in the legislature that did not get passed. But one of the ideas was that they were going to split broadcast revenue with the college athletes. I thought this um, was definitely on the, the sort of extreme side of things in terms of what other states were doing. Uh, but, you know, it's an idea and it's something that was promoted and uh, obviously was not put through. And um, it's interesting, too, because New York is not normally a state you think of for, you know, uh, let's say college football, uh, potentially for college basketball. Uh, but mostly it's a, you know, it's a largely a professional sports state. It's not like California where you've got, uh, you know, all the Pac-12 teams or you've got you know, in the Midwest and in the South, you've got the SEC and the, the, uh, the Big Ten and the Big 12, right? And the ACC in the sort of um, Southeastern seaboard. But again, I kind of want to break this down a little bit. So New York had this rule where they were sort of thinking about uh, splitting broadcast revenue, which again was on the more extreme side of things amongst the other states, um, which I think an interesting point to that is that although that would have put money in the pockets of college athletes, I don't think it would have empowered them because ultimately I think the great thing about NIL is that it's free market, it's open market, and it gives the student athletes a, a chance to brand themselves. And I think that's important as opposed to just putting money in somebody's pocket. You know, obviously both would be great, right? You know, an ideal world, but I think 
uh, the latter, at least for me, would be preferred. If I was a college athlete, I would like to be able to have control over my own brand and create that. Now, Georgia, on the other hand, uh, did something very interesting in their NIL law basically takes 74.9% of the NIL profits made from the top athletes, or basically any athlete makes it, makes money, they have to pull that money uh, into the athletic program. So basically the other athletes get that money. So it's like a uh, more of an equitable approach, I guess you could say. Um, but that law in Georgia also restricts the types of deals that these players can sign, no alcohol, no cannabis, no sports betting partner partnerships, sin industry stuff. And also it holds the profits of the athletes in an escrow account for one year until after leaving school or graduation. So very restrictive. California, on the other hand, is basically completely open market. You can do what you want when you want. The only restrictions are really, and these are two interesting ones. Uh, one is this idea of the NIL deal that the athlete signs cannot conflict with the underlying university. This is very important because I think this rule is something that's going to be probably applied universally, regardless of whether it's in California, because it does make sense. College athletes not going to be able to sign a deal with Adidas if the team is sponsored by Jordan or Nike or what have you. And they're not going to be able to wear that gear on the field. Um, now, there's arguably, and there's going to be some discussion on this, whether the player can wear that stuff off the field. Because ultimately, you could, I could imagine if I'm negotiating a deal for – uh, let's say uh, Nike and I'm signing it, you know, with UCLA, um, you know, it'd be, you'd be in a situation where obviously as Nike, you'd want to restrict what the player could wear. Now, does that apply to off the field? I don't know. We'll see how that sort of plays out, but I think it's an interesting point to think about, but that particular provision is in the California uh, legislation, uh, the fair pay to play act. Uh, there's also um an interesting rule that it, it, the California law does is it places restrictions on agents and attorneys to only discuss NIL deals with college athletes, but they cannot discuss draft and future prospects. Now, this is this is an interesting one because I think that um, what what college athletes really need is good advice and communication. I mean, every, anybody needs that, right? You're in a bind, you need help, you need advice, you go to an expert, you talk to somebody, right? Well, this law really restricts that. And I get the idea behind it. The spirit of it is that you don't want these college athletes thinking about the draft and that sort of thing when they're in school. But the reality of it is, is they are thinking about the draft. And if they're really good, that's all that's going to be on their mind because everybody's going to be talking to them about it. And they're going to be having conversations because there's no restrictions on having conversations. You just can't accept anything of value and you can't sign a contract. So I get the spirit of it, but ultimately I could conceivably see and it's natural to have agents and attorneys negotiate these deals and then use those deals as a catalyst to sign the player long term or for the player to can basically be convinced or what have you that this is the right person to go with so maybe that's something that happens naturally maybe it's not uh, but I think it's something uh, that's interesting in the California version of NIL and I think sort of last two points I want to make is that it's interesting that you know, there was a lot of talk about the federal government getting into a situation of, oh, well, let's pass this national NIL law. I think that um, that was somewhat short-sighted because, you know, again, we live in a constitutional republic. We live in 
a country where most powers are delegated by the 10th Amendment, which is in the Bill of Rights of the U.S. Constitution. Very, very important piece of paper that uh, ultimately reserves rights to the states not delegated to the federal government. I think people often forget this. Uh, and, you know, truth be told, you're more likely to be affected by a local law or ordinance than you are a federal law. Uh, there's just not that many federal laws, obviously more so today, and the federal government has been growing. Um, but I think when you're talking about the way that Congress went about this, uh, Congress discussed the issue. There's no doubt about that. Um, this was very similar, in my opinion, to uh, the steroids era in baseball, where they investigated some things, took a look at it. Well, don't ultimately there it's you know really up to the states it's up to the private entities to figure this out but sometimes congress gets involved as somewhat of a police force and and tries to encourage things or uh, sort of which i don't disagree with i think you know ultimately congress needs to do their job too and investigate things and see if something's worth doing we have checks and balances and i think those things work pretty well and so um it makes sense to me that a lot of these states would come up with their own laws and uh, I kind of like it. I think ultimately um, it allows for some competition. I think states can pass with a law that, that's beneficial to them and their schools and what's proper. And I think the NCAA will eventually come along and create their permanent national roles and guidelines, particularly for those schools who want to be a part of the NCAA as member institutions. Now, what will be interesting too is whether the big five conferences, the Power Five, Pac-12, Big Ten, SEC, ACC, Big 12, uh, will have sort of different rules, let's say, from uh, the Sun Belt or the MAC or uh, the Mountain West conferences, right? So we'll see how that plays out. I think the last point that I want to make is this idea of the NIL marketplace. You know, again, it's mostly going to be based on social media followers and engagement. Instagram has run some reports on this, and basically for every follower, it equals X amount of dollars. And of course, engagement is important. A lot of times you'll see folks with a lot of followers, but not a ton of engagement. So engagement is important because you want people engaging with the brand. I often say uh, when negotiating deals, you know, I think it's important for the talent, uh, the creator to have some leeway in terms of working with the partnership because you know, ultimately, if the talent doesn't want to promote the brand, it's not worth it. And you have to have these sort of folks wanting to work together, right? And so uh, if you don't have a ton of engagement on your platform, you know, followers are important, but engagement is, is equally important. You know, you have to have the audience, but the audience obviously has to be attending, so to speak, right? So I think that, you know, you could eventually end up having a top quarterback making less money on an NIL deal than a top volleyball player if that volleyball player has more followers and more engagement. And I don't think that's, you know, uh, too far from, uh, from happening here very shortly because there are some very, very popular high school basketball players that have um, more followers than NBA players. There are a ton of female athletes that have more followers than than their male counterparts and can be very popular and very uh, engaged uh, with their communities, their online communities and what have you. So um, I think the range, you know, for this is that, you know, we can look at other NIL marketplaces like uh, cheerleaders who have been profiting uh, from name, image and likeness because they're not considered an NCAA sport. Uh, Esports gamers is, you know, again, this is a billion dollar industry 
uh, that uh, when you look at sort of rights of publicity and NIL, I mean, these deals have been going on for a long time. We can also talk about NFTs and non-fungible tokens and what that looks like and what college sports allow that, uh, particularly the uh, NCAA or the universities, their broadcast partners, and how will that look? I can definitely see some NFTs for off the you know court, but ultimately the broadcast is going to be controlled by, uh, you know, controlled by the broadcasters and the teams, uh, the leagues and the conferences and the universities. But again, with these sort of new NIL rules, you know, um, you know, maybe we continue to see an expansion there. We'll see. But um, you know, again, we've heard about uh, you know EA Sports coming back with a college game, and they're going to you know obviously pay a licensing fee to the players. So uh, interesting little caveat here too is the players unions on the professional side have already given um, some green light to this and to, you know, basically told their agent advisors that they could service college athletes. Arguably this was already done when the NCAA lifted the NIL restrictions, but I think you know, formality can sometimes be important. I think the marketplace it can be, has a potential to be very vast, but I think you're gonna have a lot of folks at the top the top quarterbacks, you know, running backs, um, starting centers, point guards, what have you, forwards, this sort of thing, that they're going to uh, have the ability to profit off their name, image, and likeness. But, you know, I don't think that um, the backup running back or uh, the backup wide receiver, the backup left tackle, the starting nose guard, the, you know, the backup nose guard, not to pick on nose guards, but um, – you know, again, I, I think it's all about social media following. Now, obviously, if those folks have large social media following, great. I think maybe this provides more incentive for folks to, to sort of be uh, more outgoing or to look for the NIL deals, but we'll see how that plays out. I think regulation is going to be important as an industry. Uh, I think oftentimes we get really excited about something and then we have to go back and kind of put some rules in place to, to regulate uh, sort of the out, the out sort of look and effect of things. I think this idea of keeping amateurism is important. Uh, you know, for me, I've always been a big proponent of giving people choices. So I think that um, the NBA and the NFL's rules on basically restricting one and done or going three years, I, I think is not right. And I think that uh, folks need options. So I love seeing the overtime elite league coming around and giving options to high school players to not have to play in the high school model, but still attend school and then make money and get paid. Um, I think the professional pathways program through the uh, NBA uh, G League is going to be, um, you know, beneficial. You know, obviously the NFL has tried to introduce on multiple occasions. Well, the NFL hasn't, but other groups have, uh, you know, sort of competing leagues that they've talked about being feeder leagues or spring leagues or what have you, but that's not really, none of those have really survived. Um, actually, none of them have survived. XFL is now, I think, in its in its third uh, iteration with uh, Dwayne Johnson leading that. But, you know, we'll see. Um, I, I guess a couple last points. I think college baseball has, has a chance to really benefit from this because Major League Baseball during 2020 contracted many of its minor league teams and it cut the draft from 40 rounds to 20. So where are all those players going to go? They're probably going to go to college. And especially now with NIL opportunities, potential to see a lot more NIL deals on the diamond there. I think, you know, again, in closing, I think universities and brands uh, benefit from this because, you know, ultimately they're going to monitor potentially and even pay the athletes or take a percentage. Um, I think, um, 
you know, ultimately you're going to, they're just going to provide some education. I think anytime a university can be, um, you know, or a brand can be associated with this, with an athlete that's beneficial to them. Even if the universities aren't signing these deals and helping these players out, regardless, that player is going to be attending a Michigan or, you know, a Rutgers or, you know, um, a Berkeley or a Washington or what have you, you're going to be attending a school and it's indirectly or directly going to benefit the school just by name recognition or what have you. I think obviously college athletes stand to benefit, whether that be through cash or product or potentially even equity in a company. I think this creates a lot of uh, compliance issues. So compliance issues and, uh, and departments will continue to grow. So again, um, it, you know, but I think somewhat like the sports betting industry, you know, it's like where everybody's jumping to join these sponsorships. It's just going to take some time to monitor this stuff and to figure it out and to, um, to make sure there are some safeguards in place. But uh, there is no doubt that the marketplace has, has been very exciting to this point. So again, folks, really appreciate listening in. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. This is the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. As always, thank you and wishing you a great week. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.